welcome to the Gentle Counselor podcast, episode number 10. Welcome back to the Gentle Counselor podcast. My name is Crystal and I am the creator of The Gentle Counselor. I provide online resources to support the mental health and well-being of parents and children. Today on the podcast, we have a special guest. Krista Garrett from Garrett Music Academy is coming on today to talk to us about resilience in the face of adversity. As the owner of Garrett Music Academy since 2016, she has merged her passion for cognitive development, mental health and music into her vision of a private music school. She has her Bachelor in Science from the University of Maryland and her Master's in Science in Developmental Psychology from John Hopkins University. She's a wife and the mother of three children, two of which are twins. Throughout her work, she began to see how music influences the brain and emotions and found that music can actually repair damage caused by stroke, dementia, depression, anxiety, PTSD, and other psychosomatic diagnosis. While she first joined the school first on the business side with her experience in finance, she quickly began her journey marrying psychology and music into a series of lessons that could help students of all ages. Welcome to the podcast, Krista. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you on because I this is actually something I'm sort of secretly passionate about is how music can have such a positive effect on our mental health and as I briefly talked about in introducing you how it really is linked to repairing things like dementia and stroke Um, I know there's been a lot of studies and people experiencing the positive effects of music being really therapeutic so I would like to talk to you a bit more about what does mental health and well-being mean to you well it's it's concepts that are cornerstone to life Um, if one is in a good mental space, the twists and turns and challenges that we're dealt with, uh, they come in a progressive orderly manner. But if you're in a chaotic situation, chaos breeds chaos. So if you're not making your mental health a priority, um, all other facets of your life become unmanageable and you're unable to cope uh, and you don't have the tools for you to work through those issues in a healthy, productive manner. Definitely. And so the work you're doing, it sounds like it's really going to be, I guess, having the opposite effect of chaos breeding chaos, because we all know that music can have such a calming effect on us as well. Yes, it does. And what's so interesting about music is that it uses so many different pathways in the brain that when we sustain damage in one area, and because we're finding with the studies that have been done in recent years, we used to believe that the brain was, uh, once it was damaged, it was damaged. And there was no way to uh, repair the damage, let alone find other pathways. Well, we were completely wrong. Uh, The brain is very plastic. And even in adults, particularly in adults, we're finding now, um, so if something happens in one area of the brain, the brain finds a way to compensate on another area and develop those skills by bypassing that damaged area and finding another area. Or now we're finding that with some therapies, you can have that brain tissue regenerate and those neural connections can return. Um, with music, it's all through the brain. 
you have, since you have the four quarters of your brain, you've got your frontal lobe, your parietal lobe, your temporal lobe, and occipital lobe, all of those are affected by music. So it's amazing to see even in a state where you're unable to verbalize or you're unable to communicate in some type of a verbal way, music has found to be a way for people that's a universal language that we can get responses through other physical means through music. So it's, it's a fascinating area. It really is. And I feel like we're just going to keep on discovering so much more about it as well. This is definitely just the tip of the iceberg, I feel. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I can say from my own personal experience with working with particular clients, um, I've worked with clients that have had strokes. I've had clients that I've worked with that have had traumatic brain injuries. I have clients that are autistic. And, and what, what I see with my older adult students is that with the brain injuries, dementia is 100% going to happen. It's, it, there's a 100% onset rate of dementia. It's a, it, so going into it, you know that at some point it's going to happen. But what you do in the meantime will either off-put the onset for a longer period down the road, or it will make the symptoms milder as it onsets and as it progresses. So just seeing the, the changes that making, making music can do, just playing on the piano, you're, you're moving so many areas of the brain, you're moving your muscles, your gross motor skills, your fine motor skills, you're using your eyes to read the music, you're using your, your ears to listen to pitch and tone and color. There's just so much facets to it that create so many inner moving parts that that's where you're seeing the biggest, the biggest bang for your buck or the biggest gains that you're seeing is when you're seeing all of those little parts moving together and that they're doing something so spectacular as preventing disease or putting off the onset of disease. Can you tell me about a mental health concern that you have either about yourself or maybe about children or, you know, you know, the current pandemic that we have going on? Well, it, it's amazing to see within these last few months, you, you see short-term and long-term effects of what's happening right now. My biggest concern is isolation and lack of routine um, across populations. It's difficult for children to social isolate. And with the current trends, it's going to be difficult for them to acclimate into new social expectations because everything's going to be rewritten. We don't know what is going to come from this as far as interacting with other human beings. And when we are isolated behind a computer screen, that takes out so many elements of social development um, and understanding the social cues, um, uh, giving someone personal space, all of those things. And for young children, that's going to be very difficult to learn when they've been taken out of a structured school environment and are placed in a, in a situation where they're not permitted to go to uh, story time at the library, or they're not able to participate in group sports, or they're not able to go to different uh, educational programs because of the size limits. 
and spacing with social distancing. So I see that being a problem long-term for children because they're not gonna learn how to socialize properly. They're not going to understand the importance of sharing and turn-taking and things like that if, if they're not permitted to interact with other, other children on the same level. I've had similar concerns, especially when it comes to early childhood development, because that is such a short amount of time where these huge developmental milestones and, you know, leaps and bounds in what children are learning and able to do typically occurs. But now we're living in this time where I know in the US, it's, it's a bit different to here in Australia, because you guys are still in lockdown. So for us, we had our children out of school for a few uh, weeks there. Um, but everyone's pretty much coming back now. So things feel a little bit more normal where we are. And even mm -hmm. just that short amount of time was enough to drive, you know, parents crazy having their children at home. Or for me, working as a school counselor, I'm seeing it so much in students, they're struggling to come back. We're already having so many social difficulties in classrooms. Um, even though that was such a short amount of time, it does have an impact. And so for places like where you are in the US that have been doing this for much longer, we really are still going to notice the effects of what's happening. Absolutely. We, we don't have it right now. There are certain areas of the country that are opening up. There are other areas of the country that are still remaining locked down or just starting to emerge. And children have been out of school for several months now. And there's still questions about what's going to happen when we return from our summer break, whether or not they're going to return to the classroom. They may remain in distance learning. And my concern, particularly for my five-year-old son, who is transitioning from uh, pre-K to kindergarten, he doesn't understand and what's important in being in a classroom and what's expected as far as behavior and how to interact with other children in an academic setting. So there's concerns there where you wonder what's going to happen because of social distancing, what's going to happen to the little ones? Because it's hard to put those expectations on children that are just emerging and developing a sense of self and putting them into a situation where they're told not to hug, not to touch hands, not to touch the same toys, not it's, I can see multiple problems coming from this and trying to figure out what the solutions are going to be. You're so right. And I really feel for all our educators out there because this is such uncharted territories. And so where you would typically be teaching, you know, routines and kindness and, you know, encouraging socialization, not only are we going to be struggling with you know, what kind of expectations are we going to be having of these young children that really mm -hmm. have missed out on understanding what a school setting is like, and then also missing out on the socialization and they're either going to be even more anxious or maybe they're going to be even more hyper because they're so excited to be in that environment. So it's going to be a tricky one to navigate and it's really just going to need a lot of grace and patience from everyone, I think. Yes, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Can you tell us a bit more about your own mental health journey? Sure. Um, so I started to struggle with depression as a teenager and it would come in ebb and flow as it does. Uh, but as I progressed into adulthood, um, went through a series of infertility 
um, treatments with my husband, uh, we were having a really hard time getting pregnant. So went through two years of infertility treatments. And once I was pregnant with the twins, um, the pregnancy went fine. We, we had them early. They were born at 30 weeks. So they were in the NICU for several, several weeks for about two months. Um, and I suffered postpartum depression um, and anxiety from, you know, coming home from the hospital without my babies and having to go through a couple of years of taking them to different appointments and therapies and, and so on and so forth. And it, it actually was mild. Um, it wasn't until I had my son and I'm an older mom. So for me, when I had my son, I was over 40 and the postpartum after he was born was just awful. It, it really hit me like a ton of bricks and I struggled to just function. Uh, and with the support of my family and my husband, I was able to get in with my doctor get into therapy and for a number of years i've been working through getting and developing a toolbox of coping skills um, that really helped me through anxiety and challenges so for me what's worked is using meditation um, i found this wonderful woman um, in australia her name is margarita and i found eft tapping um, sound healing um, meditation um, counting backwards. There's just so many different tools that you can use medications. There, there's so many different things that you can use out there that you just have to find what's best for you. But I would say that if you're suffering from depression and anxiety, reach out to a professional to find ways to help because there are just, it's, it gets very overwhelming. And when it gets to that overwhelming stage, that's the, when you need the biggest cry for help. Um, I will say for me with the postpartum, if I can be brutally honest, it received, it reached the point where if I were driving down the road, I would have these overwhelming urges to drive the car off the road into a ditch or into, into a, a tree or something, because I would be overwhelmed with the thoughts that I wasn't good enough and I wasn't, um, wasn't being the best mother and I wasn't being the best wife. And I, you would get caught up in that really horrible self-talk of not being good enough. Um, so that's when, when I knew I needed to get help right away. Um, but I hope that no one goes through that and lets it get to that state that if you feel those emotions of just not able to get up, you're tired all the time. You don't feel good enough. You, um, have horrible self-talk, you feel anxious all the time, go see a professional, go see your medical doctor, see who, talk to a family member, talk to someone and see where you can be guided to get help to work your, to work through those issues because you'll come out of the other side of it a much happier, much healthier, much more productive human being. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with postpartum depression and anxiety. It's something that I've talked about quite a bit on The Gentle Counselor. I've done some, you know, posts about it, written about it, interviewed other women about it. It's something that is still not talked about enough. And the more we talk about it, the more we realize how many people are experiencing this. And like you said, how serious it can 
really get if we keep ignoring it or not recognizing it. So I'm so glad that you had people around you and yourself to realize what you needed to do and to go and seek help. So that's amazing that you were able to do that because we kind of get stuck into this mindset of thinking that we have to have it all figured out or that we have to do it all on our own, especially when you do become a mother, because you kind of are doing that when you have a child, right? You're, you're thrown into this position where you are forced into having to figure out things on your own. But then we sort of forget that we still need to be taken care of sometimes because we are human as well. And it's definitely more than okay to ask for help and admit it when you need it. Absolutely. And it's, it, and I'll, I'll follow up on that by saying that once you become a mother and, and you, you develop this little micro world view where you just become in, in this little bubble of just trying to get through diaper changes and feedings and, and, and just trying to get through the day with some sanity. But people, I think, look at postpartum depression and mental health in a different way in the sense that it's empowering to be a mother because you see sides of yourself mentally and physically that you're pushed to certain limits that you see a strength in yourself. But when you get in that area of, of not being well and you need to take care of yourself, I think there's this stigma that you're weak, that you're viewed as weak, that you're viewed as not, um, not able to juggle all the balls in the air. And I, I wanna just point out that you're not weak. If you see something's wrong, the biggest, strongest woman can admit her vulnerability, step into it and address it. And when you realize you need help and you ask for it, that's the biggest, strongest action you could ever take because you're not only taking care of yourself, but you are looking further to showing your child, even in times of chaos and um, uh, just complete uh, a breakdown that you're going to rise above it and, and get the tools that you need and the help that you need and the friends and the support that you need um, by admitting and take and being able to admit that you, you you need that help when you need it and that I think that's the biggest strength anyone can ever have is to step up and say I'm hurting I'm vulnerable please help me you're so right I love everything that you just said often I talk about how you know, like a perfect parent doesn't exist. And it's the same as just being human. None of us are perfect. And that's not even something that we should want to strive for because it's in our struggles. It's in our difficulties that we actually grow and we learn, you know, how to do things better or we gain more insight. And that's really where that deep inner strength and change comes from. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I would say, you know, listen to yourself, you trust your gut, and if something doesn't feel right, ask for help. Do you mind sharing some of the best advice or help that you've received? Um, Yes, I will say the best advice I have ever received has been in the most recent years, learn to accept and love you for who you are. Loving yourself, self-love, and and accepting who you are, where you are, is really the key to finding life worth living. And 
you need to be able to truly love and share the best of yourself by, and, and that only comes from accepting who you are right now and working from there and always know that it's not perfection, it's progress. So I always say this mantra, it's progress, not perfection. Every day, just do something, do something to push yourself a little further, but just know that every failure that you have in life is a learning experience. It stinks sometimes to, to have a failure or a disappointment, but love yourself anyway. Own the, uh, own the mistake or the failure, learn from it and then move on. But understand that the, the key to being able to do that is just accepting who you are, loving who you are, and be who you are. That is one of my favorite mantras, progress, not perfection, because yes. it speaks on so many levels. And, and I use it mostly when it comes to the work that I do, because, you know, we can be our own worst critics sometimes. You're absolutely right. We are our own worst critics and we are the hardest that the hardest on ourselves than we will be on anyone else. So it's really, it's hard to live up to your own standards, right? Yes. And for some reason, somewhere along the way, we got this belief that we're supposed to be happy and excited or doing amazing things all the time, but that's just not realistic. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, no. that's Instagram lives. <laughs> that's not really what the day to day or the true purpose and meaning of life is often it's yes. the simple little things that we do in our day-to-day -day lives that we sometimes forget to appreciate and feel gratitude for that really is what matters the most. That's very true. And it, just to, to expand on that just a little bit, it's, it's funny when you say the Instagram life, because it, we all have our public self and our private self. And the public self, the Facebook, you know, everything's roses and ponies and rainbows and I'm, I'm living my best life. And then you have your private self where you, you, you see who you really are. It's when you merge those two and look at your strengths and look at, look at what your Facebook says about you as far as what a great life you're living and having that gratitude. And getting up each day and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for those things. But also looking at your private self and seeing where are your flaws, where are your vulnerabilities and accepting those and also saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And being grateful for those things um, is so true. So what you said is very, very true. It's accepting the fact that we're not always going to be the prettiest portrait um, of ourselves. But when you accept that, and you say thank you, and you have that gratitude for what you have, the, the mindset changes and all of those things open up for you. What is something you wish you could tell yourself during your darkest moments? That it's gonna be okay. That this is going to pass, and it doesn't define who I am. Um, I would, my best advice would be not to listen to the voices that tell you're not good enough because you're going to have those coming in and out. Um, and even if you are good, you're going to have negative self-talk that is going to distract you. It's going to lower your frequency. It's going to prevent you from realizing your dreams because you're going to be so wrapped up in thoughts. I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. I can't do this. Um, 
why would someone like me be able to achieve this? It is what it is and it will all be okay. This too shall pass. Live in that moment, accept that moment, and then let go of that moment and move on because you're, you're better than that dark moment. Your light is on the other side. You're just standing in a shadow. You're so right. I love that. And we shouldn't be listening to that voice in our head. I actually put up a post the other day about don't listen to your inner critic. And in my gentle motherhood membership, we're actually about to do an activity where it's one of those practices you do where you give that inner critic a name. And so in my post, I was calling it Karen. <laughs> it's about, you know, don't listen to Karen. One of the other ladies don't listen to Karen. Yeah. is calling it Larry. And it's like, oh, that Larry always saying horrible things. And sometimes, you know, that's like a funny way to be able to disarm that inner critic by giving it another name because it's not you. And then yes. it's easier to recognize that it's just crap. Like it's not true. It's some like thoughts aren't always true. Sometimes they can be a lie that we're telling ourselves. Absolutely. We create these self, we, we create these perceptions of what, what we expect ourselves to be. And when we don't meet those expectations, we fall apart. And, and the, the worst thing that we do to ourselves is in, in a way, the self-talk becomes self-mutilation. You just talk yourself down to the, where you whittle yourself down to nothing. And it's true. You have this little Karen in the back of your mind that is telling you, you know, you need to just go pack your things up and go home. You know, you're not big enough to play on the playground with us. But if you listen to the Karen, the inner Karen in you, you wouldn't get up in the morning. So it's, it's a matter of telling Karen to sit down, shut up, and it's time to, to rock on because you have that capability and, you know, accept it and, and take a deep breath and go with the moment and you're going to, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. That I can promise you. Now we're coming towards the end of the podcast. Do you have something else that you can offer our audience, like a little piece of advice or some tips relevant to mental health and well-being? Yes, I would say breathe. Take a moment, breathe. When you're feeling panic, breathing slowly and deeply will cause that panic to pass. It will help it pass more quickly. Um, develop a series of non-negotiables that you do every day. And that will help you find peace because you have a series of structured things that you are giving yourself each day that you need to have in order to bring you peace. Carve out time, make a commitment to make sure your non-negotiables are scheduled into your day automatically. Find a hobby or a passion that help you with coping and stress release. For me, it's music. Um, whether it's listening to it, whether it's playing it, um, whether it's talking about it, attending, you know, we're, we're, we're doing these virtual concerts now. Um, so it's, it's finding, go for a run. I mean, there's things that you can do that um, if you just carve out that time for yourself and you make a commitment each day, I'm going to do these things before anything else. I'm going to do these things. You will see stress 
reduce. You will see anxiety reduce. Um, the, the other thing I would suggest is finding a journal. Find a journal that you really like and use it. Set a timer. Write it at least 10 to 20 minutes each day. And as part of that journaling, make a list of 10 reasons, people, things that you're grateful for. And then write about what those are and why you're grateful. And what's wonderful and beautiful about that exercise is that it helps to increase positivity in your mindset, in your life, and it reminds you of all the good that's around you. So in time, you will start seeing automatically that even when you're in a challenge, that there's going to be good coming from it because of all the good and positive that's surrounding you. Practicing gratitude daily has to be one of the most underrated things, but one of the most effective things we actually should be doing daily for our mental health. It's as simple as when I feel myself waking up, but you know, my eyes are still closed because I don't want to wake up. I, mm -hmm. I, my first thought to myself is what are three things that I'm grateful for? And it's just automatic now every morning. That's what I do. The moment that I've woken up before I've gotten up before I've even opened my eyes, because I know I've at least done that. If I then, you know, get distracted and can't find time to journal, which would be my preference to do that. But, you know, sometimes us busy moms with little ones um, can forget to fill our cup at times, but it's such a simple thing you can do. And then the more you do it, the more you're training your brain to do it. Like you mentioned, and the easier it comes to us and the more present it is in our mind. And it's simply there in our daily lives. And it has such a positive effect on us and our mood. And then as a parent, that's also going to transfer to our children. So even now when I pick up my daughter from school at the end of the day, I'm saying things to her like, what's something that you did for someone else that was kind? Or what's something that made you really happy today or that you're thankful for? And now I'm starting to get her to start practicing these things because I just want it to be automatic for her, not something that we've had to teach ourselves later on. Absolutely. And, and when they see that inner peace within us, it's amazing how our children relax. When they see us approaching adversity, chaos, challenges in a peaceful way, then, you know, they will also use that as an example. Thank you so much, Krista, for all of the amazing goodness you have given us in this podcast episode. It's definitely one that I'm going to actually go back and listen to. <laughs> Before we end, do you have any offers for anyone that's listening? Yes. Uh, so we are a private music school, so we do offer virtual lessons worldwide. So I'm offering 50% off our enrollment fee when you sign up for lessons at garrettmusicacademy.com. I'm also going to offer a free 30-minute consultation with me. To schedule that, you will go to my personal website, which is iamblossom.me, and uh, schedule that with me directly. And I will sit down and talk to you and figure out what's the best way to help you on your own journey. Thank you so much. That's such an amazing offer. And I will have all your information and social media handles listed down below for anyone that is interested. Thank you so much again, Krista. I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.